You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Senior attorney, Ashraf Isup, and I can tell you when Ashraf Isup comes on, we have to start off with something spiritual. We have to document ourselves in lives as those that are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's try to have a very close proximity with our Creator. And uh, this is what Ashraf Isup adds uh, to legal talk. He adds a very powerful um, spiritual dimension uh, besides being a powerful attorney himself. Let me welcome uh, you and Ashraf Isup with a hearty Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, tell me, my beloved brother Ashraf, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brother, I'm very well, thank you. I hope you are. And I hope the same for our listeners. It is indeed a beautiful evening. Here in Johannesburg, we're seeing a season change. Uh, it's hay fever time now, so please excuse the sniffles. Well, as long as you don't have your cat around, he won't give you the sniffles, he give you the weasels. He's <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> sitting here listening to everything. I tell you, hey, I mean, when I come and visit you, Ashraf, I'll have to bring him a nice big packet of whiskers and what else he likes. He's very fussy, this guy, man. He only eats one kind of uh, meal and uh, he decides which part of the bed he wants to sleep on, where the electric blanket is the hottest. And if you don't move your leg, you get a pinch from him. <laughs> and the other day he decided to dive, by, by, dive bomb us at uh, Fajr time. So he got us up. The character. I tell you, my guy, what he does, he must snuggle up, yeah, on me, on me, and he'll look at me, and uh, he's well behaved. He'll just give me a, you know, a meow. But uh, you know, he's a big, he's, a, he's a big. He's just, it's the same color as your, as as your boy, you know, as 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 your cat. So Alhamdulillah, we have something in ca- common, and uh, you know what I tell you, they really they they add so much of uh, love and calmness to the house. Uh, what do you feel about Ashraf? I feel you've let the cat out of the bag, Shavad. <laughs> Everyone now knows that we are cat owners. This is not my cat, it's that of my children. But he made me now work for him. So I guess that's our that's our uh, halat now at the moment. Absolutely. And they, you know, once they take a liking and they know, they actually know who's who at home. And they know, yeah, no, the big boss there. Uh, better be, you know, his spell. And the, mashallah, lovely stories. Uh, Jazakallah for uh, sharing that uh, with us, uh, Ashraf. And Alhamdulillah, uh, we'll be just uh, discussing many issues uh, this evening. We'll be talking about the Concord uh, ruling on uh, foreign uh, uh, law graduates. And uh, yeah, we will look at even uh, Zuma's appeal and so forth. But uh, before we get into that, and I uh, know, let's get into the reality of uh, the situation. I mean, you look around us, uh, we look at uh, people talking about, you know, the Palestine. And then we talk about uh, uh, the different types of scenarios that uh, we got Muslim leadership uh, uh, having uh, or signing accordants or, or alliances with uh, the Zionist state of Israel. And we perhaps we don't know who to trust anymore. And, you know, you as a spiritual man would, I, I think, would tell me, you know, Shafat, the, the only person is a Wasiullah, Wasiul Rasul, obey Allah and obey his messenger, uh, maybe get deeper into your into yourself and, uh, you know, uh, get into introspection so that you get to know who you are and you get to know who your Lord is. And uh, maybe 
you'll be making better decisions and more informed decisions than uh, focusing on others, Ashraf. Your thoughts? Look, indeed, Shafat, there is a very important thing that you pointed out. That uh, when you're pointing a finger on to somebody else, you got at least three pointing back to you, minus the thumb. Now, at the way we find ourselves, Shafat, is it's difficult to say which countries are totally, totally Islamic. There is, in my view, no such thing. There's not a country on earth, a geographical region, that I can identify to say to you, Shafat, this area is totally Islamic. Now, let's take the Islamic Republic of uh, Emirate of Afghanistan. Now, look at what has happened to them. They've come to power in a sweeping manner. And the rest of the world doesn't like them. So they immediately apply sanctions, which leads to loss of life and misery. Then they freeze their foreign assets, which sit at $9 billion. So the question is, what is that money doing abroad in any event, first of all? And second, the non-existence of the Afghani currency or uh, the inability to, to, to draw more than $400 uh, per day has led to a total destruction of its economy, especially for the sake of exports. Afghanistan is not a poor country, not by any means. It has one of the world's richest resources of uh, rubies. Uh, if you really know the, the geopolitical landscape of Afghanistan is very, very important, including the oil pipeline that was meant to go through to secure a uh, a uh, a way to the to the sea for the Russians. So on one level, what you're seeing is the total, total misery of people whose lives are dictated by persons outside the country. And they can break or break a country. They can declare sanctions or declare war. On the other side, you have them trying the same thing with Russia. Unfortunately, the sanctions backfired. Russia's economy became stronger because they were the owners of their own resources and they could control it and demand payment in whatever currency they wanted. So you can see, unfortunately, you know, daily we witness on the TV screens and the radio and you keep on hearing this. Wherever you turn, the Muslim world is in great distress. This is a very sad thing to witness. Millions upon millions of people. So uh, if it's not that, then you turn on the television and you see a journalist attacking a man because he wants to know if he's condemning Salman Rushdie's stabbing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's trying, trying you by a standard that is, is, is not fair because uh, what has this 
man stabbing got to do with uh, 1.7 billion Muslims. Now, they also cleverly introduce the uh, Shia element into it by reminding you that Khomeini issued a fatwa against uh, uh, Rushdie. Uh, it's la laughable that you have to have a fatwa and a, and a price of a million dollars. I mean, many people don't know that Rushdie himself had taken a swipe at Khomeini. So we don't know on what basis Khomeini decided to issue the fatwa. And to our shame, <laughs> no one's claimed a million rand, a million dollars. So, you know, it's it's like making a laughing stock of us. Very, very sad. Now, we have to isolate the reason for this. If we are to find a solution, we have to accept as a starting point that nowhere on earth does the system of divine governance reign supreme? No way. Because the components of the five pillars are not in place. So, again, back to this question of Afghanistan, they needed $3 billion worth of aid to survive. That means the you know, everyone will get a standard meal and there won't be starvation, etc. You recall that we were examining the possibility of the zakat from the oil revenue. And uh, those figures are updated recently mm. because we saw Saudi Aramco, which stands for American company, being the leaders in, in oil. But we also saw surprisingly Bin Salman not being very cordial towards uh, Biden. You know, he was quite nonchalant. So maybe you're seeing a difference now in policy. And also surprisingly, after many, many, many years, I think for the first time, you've seen a crown prince with a full beard and not somebody who's walking around in a suit and supporting Gillette blades. Uh, you know, so... These are some of the subtle changes that we're seeing. Of course, our hope and our prayer is for Allah to restore Islam in its purity, justice, fairness, uh, fairness in the marketplaces, safety for women and children, uh, not using mass weapons of mass destruction because we have a duty towards the animals and the environment as well. And trying to you know, harmonize our existence because mankind is not poor, Shafat. The world has got enough to feed everyone. It's just that we find ourselves always at the receiving end of some or other policy uh, or government or, or company. I was uh, doing some research into how the British East India Company ruled India. And it was tragic how they took such a beautiful country and turned it into a nation of beggars. Now, if you extend that to uh, the present-day conglomerates that control the world, uh, you should do some research into a company called BlackRock. It is the most powerful company in the world. This guy, uh, Larry Fink, uh, is able to bail out governments. 
and he's been doing it to, since 2008. That is the net asset value that he has under his control. It is trillions upon trillions. So these are some of the things that you reflect upon and you think, how are we going to overcome this uh, system? But then you remember what Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran. They, they look like they're strong, but it's like the spider's web. It's not really strong. It just gives you an illusion of strength. It's actually quite weak. So we always ask Allah for guidance and the restoration of Islam in its entirety uh, and justice and peace and tranquility for everyone, for all of mankind. It's not just aimed at the Muslims, which now includes all of Nas, you know, all of creation, including jinn and man and animal and other forms of life. That is our hope that we we able to find a way out of this quagmire. Uh, absolutely, Ashraf. And uh, in other words, you're telling me like uh, countries like Afghanistan, even you know, if you look at Somalia, are very rich countries indeed. And uh, you know, unfortunately, they are uh, bearing the burden of this uh, one world uh, disorder that's uh, perpetrated by a country called America or the USA. And you know, having a uh, uh, control over the currency, you know, with its petrol dollars. Uh, it also dictates to countries on how you, uh, you know, how you trade. And you're, you're, the, the only way you can trade is uh, by using our currency. And, uh, you know, they have uh, given ultimatums to others who uh, break, uh, you know, their dictates or their orders by telling them, right, you're either, you're either with us or you're against us. So in, uh, in, in the case of Afghanistan, uh, they have their backs uh, to the wall, uh, Ashraf. Well, as are most debtor nations, uh, 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 Shafat, no one is free of debt, and debt is, is the instrument and means of dictating to you what your terms and conditions are. Because remember the World Bank has an arm called the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. They determine how much interest you're going to be charging the population. Remember, we started with GST, then we moved to VAT. These are all how the, the, the policies created by uh, offshore entities. There are challenges indeed to that. Now the Chinese are flexing their muscles in, the, in and around uh, Taiwan. You can see there's some tensions there. But it also fuels the BRICS nation trying to create an alternative currency. But that's not even the answer because that currency still is controlled by the few. Then you have the rise of cryptos, Bitcoin and the like. And, you know, again, completely unregulated. Uh, I mean, they say mining a virtual currency. All it is is a computer using a lot of energy to, to use blockchain technology to create what they call a, a, a Bitcoin. It's as fiat as the, the paper money you have in your pocket. But people are now beginning to challenge these things around the world. And it makes the place a precarious, it makes the earth a precarious place. Because, I mean, it's interesting, American politics has been consistent over the last 40 years. If you look at that, this is the time that uh, Richard Nixon has been an advisor to uh, administration after administration. A very interesting read, if you look into the history of Richard Nixon, 
and how he created policy uh, and, and how that has been consistently followed irrespective of who's occupying the White House. You know, and now Trump has left, so now they're raiding his house and they're removing documents and uh, and now it's quite startling when you see the uh, Fox News and others uh, in the US now condemning the FBI and asking them to be unfunded because now the same organization that has done these things in the past, it was okay. Now that they've gone for Trump, now it's not okay. So you, you know, you understand where I'm getting at. There, there's immense hypocrisy and double standards. Absolutely. Then, uh, you know, when you talk about Richard uh, Nixon, who can forget Henry Kissinger, the shuttle king? You know, he was a, we didn't know about shuttle express, but he was a shuttler, shuttling from this end to that end. And as a young man, hey, you know, we were not so conscientized, Ashraf, as, hey, what a top guy all the time. He was a devil incarnate, you know, bringing in policies. And uh, yeah, he ushered in that Riva system of uh, the petrodollars and he put everyone into the doldrums. Uh, Ashraf, uh, your thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that uh, you raise that because it's quite well documented. And uh, perhaps one of the themes that we must uh, raise is the, you know, self-education to our dear listeners, that they should take some time and reflect on some of these other news pieces. You see, Shavad, if you constantly follow the so-called breaking news and the news of the day, if, if you're getting your education from the news, uh, unfortunately, I think it's a, it's, it's a very bad disservice you're doing to yourself. If you're getting your education through reading, and of course, the first thing you read, the first text you read, it is demand. You read the Holy Quran in a language you understand. That is not negotiable. The Quran is a book of knowledge and guidance. It will then position you to understand creation and events. And then you're able to interpret these things around you. And you come to the startling conclusion that insan today is the same one that was created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the first time around. We have the same thing. We have jealousy. We have greed. We have murder. We have love. We have disobedience. We have prayer. I mean, it was quite amazing. If you read the Quran, it says to you that uh, Sayyidina Ibrahim was an ummah. If you actually look at the Christian sources, you understand that, that how can one man be an ummah? But that is his position. The Quran says Sayyidina Ibrahim was an ummah. One man. So he defied the odds. He fought against uh, slavery, uh, 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 I mean, uh, uh, idol worship. Idol worship, yeah. And he gave rise to two great nations and two great deans. It's, it's a, you know, it's amazing when you, when you think. And when you reflect on what is actually in the Bible itself, uh, the Genesis, book of Genesis, you'll be surprised to find almost a similar thing where they say your progeny will be like the stars. And then there's a full description of, of the house at Bakka, which was Kaaba, the, the house at Mecca, the holy well. It's all there. You know, so what I'm appealing to our dear listeners and ourselves, of course, it starts with ourselves, is to try and uh, uh, read and educate ourselves like I say, insistence that the Quran be the first. 
all the authentic hadiths and and tafsirs very important to do it correctly if you can find a teacher in your location that you can some do something daily weekly or monthly then you should latch on to that but it is an, a a necessary insistence in this time of ignorance because it's the only thing that will that will save us is uh, an understanding of our creator absolutely indeed and uh, you know as you say when you read the noble quran and you look at uh, ibrahim alayhi salam uh, being documented from uh, you know, as a young man or right to a ripe old age but uh, you know why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really loved him was you know he gave him so many tests and he passed all those tests uh, but uh, you know when he saw the star and he saw the moon and he he saw the different elements and he says that's my lord and that's my lord and that's my lord and you know he kept on questioning and uh, that's why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really liked him and uh, gave him the title of uh, khalidullah the friend of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, giving us another very strong message from the quran that uh, you know thinking is uh, is very important in the house of islam ashraf uh, well i mean you know without sayyidna ibrahim the kaaba that we circum that we go around wouldn't be there and there's still the station of ibrahim that you offer two rakats salah behind that is how important it is is still remembered on the mataf so these are lessons we take now we just came out of idul adha another lesson is allah swt allah's prohibition of killing your children because imagine if he had to do if he had to allow sayyidna is uh, ismail to have been sacrificed then we would be sacrificing human beings and allah forbade the killing of your children from that just that one act anyway shafat uh, i don't want to uh, take up the time of our dear listeners uh, no 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 alhamdulillah you know it's uh, really enjoyed that and uh, you know on a more lighter note uh, this thing happening in india and uh, you know the one wife she wants to divorce her uh, husband because he doesn't argue much i mean give us a light moment ashraf talk to us about it <laughs> yes yeah. so she brought an application in the sharia court for a divorce because the man was so good i mean she's her complaint was that he was over loving her he cooked for her he cleaned for her he never argued with her he never fought with her he gave her everything and she said no man this is not too much i i can't i can't handle this he's too good a husband i have to divorce him so lucky the sharia court they says no no you must try and mediate this you can't be divorcing the man because he's so good to you it's quite amazing eh shaba you could get I, everything and you're still unhappy yeah you know this is i think a human kind and man kind and woman kind <laughs> yeah no, not happy with anything i mean yeah you had the you know uh, the ultimate husband <laughs> ashraf yeah i mean you could you know people will dream of something like the guy doesn't argue he doesn't fight he does everything including cooking for you if your feet are tired he'll give you a massage if your back is sore he'll do that if you say to him clean the toilet he'll do it if you say make the beds he'll do it <laughs> i mean this is what she was saying she was complaining he's too good anyway there's not much you can wish about yeah let's go and uh, talk about uh, jay z jacob zuma and uh, you know the uh, supreme court of appeal uh, well 
they hear that no prison can cater to Zuma's medical needs. Dali Impofu, it seems like he's in all court cases. Talk to us about the uh, former president Jacob Zuma's, uh, you know, arguments uh, that his legal team is putting forward. And uh, what's your thoughts on the whole thing, uh, Ashraf? So let's try and refresh the facts here. It's quite interesting. This appeal was now this week in the uh, Supreme Court of Appeals. You will remember that Jacob Zuma was uh, was ordered to go to prison because he had defied the Commission of Inquiry. And uh, I think the prison sentence was 15 months. No sooner was he in prison than he fell gravely ill. And now the way things work, you will appreciate that the police are in charge of investigation. The judiciary or judicial system or the court system, which is Department of Justice, is in charge of finding you guilty or not, or whatever contract there was or civil cases. And then you have the sanctions, which is the correctional services. Now, under correctional services, they no longer have to uh, they no longer have to account uh, to the courts because they they now take over the life of the prisoner. Now, there's a thing called the parole board, and then you have the the uh, commissioner, Mr. Arthur Fraser. So, uh, taking into account Mr. Zuma's grave illness, uh, the parole board was asked to make a recommendation. And two of their members are the doctors that attended to the late president and they filed their reports. Uh, Now, the board then read the reports and they said, no, we're not convinced. This is now the parole board. Uh, we're not convinced that he's got like a life-threatening uh, ailment and he doesn't qualify for parole. However, the commissioner, Mr. Arthur Frazier, he thought otherwise and he basically says, I'm using my discretion and I'm granting parole to the prisoner, Mr. Zuma. And then the rest of the time, was supposed to be spent outside prison, which is, there's an interesting side talk there uh, that we cl- will come to just now. So w- w- what really happened is that the uh, Helen Sussman Foundation uh, then said, no, we're taking this decision on review. And they took it to the high court and, and ultimately it ended up in the SCA. So here's the the advocates for the foundation for the respondents in the Supreme Court or the applicants in the court below. They say the evidence and the law uh, pointed overwhelmingly to the fact that the former correctional services heads, which Mr. Fraser, that is, his efforts were to ignore or to override the medical parole board. They say this is like a textbook case 
of unlawfulness. One of the words they used was that they, Mr. Fraser had erred spectacularly, both in the terms of the law and in terms of rationality, when he dismissed the recommendation by the Medical Parole Advisory Board that Mr. Zuma did not qualify for medical parole. Advocate Max Duplessis, senior counsel, he, he argued for the Helen Zuzman Foundation. And he said one of the things that made him come to that conclusion is because Mr. Fraser was not a medical commissar. He was a national commissioner. So they said, like, he doesn't have this power to arrogate a wider power to himself to determine the medical questions or ignore the board because he wasn't a doctor. You know, it's like taking expert evidence. You've got to listen to the experts and say, okay, I'm guided by this expert. I'm not an expert. So they argued that Mr. Fraser thought he could do better than the board, or in other words, he could override the decision, which was based on five specialist doctors. And they said he didn't have a legal basis to do so. Now, that medical parole happened on the 5th of September 2021. And this is just immediately almost a few days after the medical parole advisory board gave the recommendations against that. They argued that there was no evidence that the president, ex-president was terminally ill or physically incapacitated. The release, as we know, just came like within a period of 60 days after he was uh, ordered to, to jail by the Constitutional Court. Now, you remember what happened on the 8th of July 2021 when he was in prison. Mm. There was a huge wave of riots in KZN and little bit here in Gauteng. That was devastating. You know, over 300 people died and the cost of the damages in, in uh, Itchekweni, Durban, was almost about uh, 70 billion, you know, according to the Chamber of Commerce there. Now, if Zuma uh, loses this medical parole and has to return to prison, there's a fear that there could be a, another round of rioting. But there's an argument there that says he's already served his time. He can't go back. That 15 months is, is long past now. So it, it's almost like a, a, a moot case now, you know. And the protagonist, which is the Democratic Alliance, Helen Susman Foundation and Afri Forum, uh, said that the, in, the, in the Pretoria High Court that Judge Elias Matojane was correct, you know, and uh, in, in, in setting aside that decision by, uh, by uh, Mr. Fraser. Now, if he is ordered back to complete his sentence, uh, we can just imagine what will happen again. But Back to the legal uh, discussions here. Now, you know, 
there, there was a lot of legal argument that you have to understand within the context of administrative law. One of the things that was argued that was perhaps not so well uh, reported in the press was it is not the decision of Mr. Fraser that was in question. It was the process that, that he had employed. Uh, I think Judge Plaskett asked a very important question, or Huerson, I can't remember, Mr. Justice Huerson or Justice Plaskett, and they said, tell us, where did Mr. Fraser say, I have examined these records and I have used my discretion based on A, B, and C to reach this decision? So you can see the attack was more on process rather than the substantive decision. It, it was interesting uh, that one of the argue, arguments in the Supreme Court, uh, this whole thing about how Parliament had taken the responsibility to diagnose what is a terminal illness or severe physical incapacity. And that is apart from the treating physicians. And they left it to the independent board. Remember, Mr. Shabir Sheikh was also in a similar position. You know, he was admitted. And in those days before the mm. 2011 amendment, a uh, outside doctor could, could basically make a diagnosis. And uh, if, you, if you're basically terminally ill, like the argument that they're making for Janusz Walush, uh, who is the uh, convicted assassin of, uh, of Chris Hani, they say he's terminally ill. And uh, those, those reports uh, are there. And uh, they, then they say, no, you still don't qualify for medical parole, which, which brought about, like I say, the amendment after the 2011 uh, uh, amendments. Now, what they were trying to do that the medical, you know, exclude the medical diagnosis by a medical practitioner because they wanted somebody more powerful or more, uh, let's say, uh, neutral. Um, and, and the other thing is there was a checks and balances that they built into that. Because they said that the role of the commissioner or the board will be to establish the two criteria for eligibility for parole, namely the risk posed to the society and whether there's adequate placement for the offender. Uh, because the medical leg is just one leg of that. Now, in this case, a number of specialist doctors had also supplied the reports that was used by the board. And they found that Zuma suffered from various comorbidities. But the Helen Sussman Foundation argued that this is not the same as a terminal illness. So, you remember during COVID, people that had comorbidities, high blood, uh, heart, diabetes, they were more prone to suffer, uh, 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 you know, the consequences of COVID. If you didn't have a comorbidity, you, your chances of recovery was higher. 
But the saying that you have a comorbidity is not the same as a terminal illness. In other words, you know, your heart or your diabetes is not terminal. Yes, it's irreversible, but it can't lead to imminent death. Uh, it's chronic. You know, your future medical uh, condition is uncertain, but you can't just die from it. And therefore, you're not entitled to, to treat it as a terminal illness. Now, one of the things the judges were struggling with was the uh, reports were redacted. In other words, certain parts were scratched out. And one of the judges said, look, when we faced with an incomplete record, then automatically the decision is set aside because they don't have the same wherewithal, the same basis to make a judgment call as the person who made that decision, who applied his discretion, because they don't have all the information. So that was also an interesting point, that where in administrative law you don't, not in possession of the entire judgment, uh, sorry, all the reasons, all the documents, then the record is incomplete and the decision taken can be set aside just on that. So uh, that was also quite interesting to see. And the board then concluded that given all the available records at that time, Zuma was stable and did not qualify for parole. The board stressed they were open to considering other information should it have come available. And, you know, we have people saying that the commissioner had basically chosen, picked and chosen from the medical reports to decide whether Zuma should get parole or not. They said, the, 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 the advocates argued, that if he utilized the reports of the former president's military physician and a correctional services physician, which recommended medical parole, he didn't report, he, he, he didn't mention the reports from the specialists that sat on the board to deny parole. So you can see there was a very strong argument that Zuma did not was not incapacitated nor terminally ill. Now, they said that, you know, Mr. Fraser was taking every opportunity to try and ignore the, the real facts. Another person, another advocate for the Democratic Alliance, Ismail Jamie, he pointed out that when uh, Zuma was imprisoned in the escort correctional center, you know, that was his prison, he had round-the-clock medical care from the military with no other specialist in attendance, like no heart, cardiac, etc., etc. When he was sent to the heart hospital in Pretoria for a condition which he then recovered from, he then went home to Nkandla with the same medical team that he had in prison, None of them were specialists. So I think those were quite strong arguments. They said he was not sent to a tertiary facility 
as recommended by Fraser. He was sent home to Nkandla with the military health service detail that he had in escort prison. And, you know, it was tough for for Fraser to, to basically challenge these arguments uh, because he, he, I don't think he nailed his, his colors to the mask. He never said that he had a terminal illness. Now, on behalf of uh, both Zuma and uh, the uh, Correctional Services, it was argued, I think it was Impashlele. He said, Fraser was within his rights to use his discretion about the medical parole because the recommendations of the board were recommendations and they were not binding. And he said that the report was just an additional report that the commissioner had used in coming to make a determination. He was not bound by that. You remember there was this previous fight about the uh, public protectors recommendations binding or not. Uh, so this was the same kind of argument here. Mm. Uh, so, but also argued that it was important to consider that the commissioner had provided independent additional reports and that he had done, he had used that to come to his conclusion as well. He said, look, the, there's recommendations by the parole board, but these are not final. He said, the commissioner's, uh, the commissioner's view must be treated without prejudice as well. And as far as the, the questions about the judge asking, but there's no mention of Zuma having a terminal illness. He said that the board had actually found Mr. Zuma was stable. It did not mean he was not suffering from a terminal illness. And he said that, look, this terminal illness is under control because of medical intervention. Now you recall uh, senior counsel Dalim Pofu has also been in the news arguing on behalf of Mkubane in the parliamentary impeachment inquiry. But here he was arguing in the Supreme Court and he said that the starting point was Zuma had medical, he, sorry, he had human rights. And the question then was, was his constitutional rights, were they infringed or was it limited? violated or not now, that is a very, very important starting point, you know, when you talk about uh, human rights and that the court tends to elevate above all else. He also said that the board's decision was an advisory one. It, it doesn't mean if they make a recommendation or, or don't make a recommendation that the commissioner can't use his own discretion. And he said that, look, 
you know, you can't. The the argument that uh, that the uh, Susan Foundation and DA brought, Dali Impofo was saying that. The argument is that the Medical Parole Advisory Board is capable, entitled, and within its powers to overrule, ignore, or second-guess the recommendations of the reports of the two doctors that treated Zuma. Sorry, not treated, examined. He said, the National Commissioner is disentitled, is not allowed to second-guess, overrule, or entitled to overrule the advisory board. He said, look, everyone has advisors, including ministers. He says, you take advice, but you're not bound by that advice. So I think there he made uh, some kind of impact. He says, the board's recommendations were simply recommendations. They were not binding. And that Fraser had used everything in his power and he exercised his discretion and he said, look, I believe that this uh, prisoner is a good candidate for medical parole and uh, I'm granting him medical parole. So you can see that, you know, the, the arguments quite evenly matched here. Obviously, there is no judgment yet. And therefore, we entitled, we can comment on it because it's not an ongoing case. Judgment is reserved. So I guess uh, there's there's a lot of uh, you know space for thinking here, Shavan. What's what's going to happen in the end? Mm. You know, I'm 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 I'm, 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 I'm glad, glad that, that you brought up uh, this issue, Ashraf, because uh, what it has done now is uh, put everything into perspective. And uh, you know, I'm not blessed you for so eloquently delivering it uh, this evening. Uh, but uh, the, the point is, uh, you know, what uh, will Helen Sussman uh, Foundation achieve and uh, uh, DA by, you know, taking on uh, perhaps a very senior and uh, old statesman. We know he is not well, uh, you know, we know what a powerful figure he is still, you know, he's still the RET group uh, look up uh, or looks up to uh, Jay-Z to give them the instructions and so forth. And as you said, uh, the insurrection uh, in, in, in most people's mind, there's no doubt that uh, you know, it was all because of uh, Jacob Zuma. Uh, your your thoughts there, Ashra? So I guess, you know, everyone knows that um, the Helen Sussman Foundation, uh, FRA Forum and the DA may or may not pursue certain cases. What those cases are, uh, Historically and, and in the future, only an examination of each of those cases will kind of tell you what their motivation was. But apart from there, let's let's say let's let's just assume that let, okay, let's set aside the argument that it was politically motivated to try and get Zuma back in court in into jail. I mean, can you imagine now having you know? For history to write that you, you that 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 you 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 know made sure that an ex-president who was accused of so many different things, including state capture, da da da, that he wasn't allowed to just walk walk free. So I I, I guess there is that posterity. 
that they needed to do it for that. But it was interesting from a legal perspective as well, Shafat, because the questions then are, what exactly is a uh, decision maker's discretion and how do you test it? You know, does he go with the recommendation made by the board? Does he make up his own mind? Now, very, very importantly, a decision maker is obliged, both in terms of the PAJA, which is the Promotion of Administrative Justice Act, to provide reasons. And the reasons must be sound. The reasons mustn't just be a rehashing of the legislation or the or the act. It 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 must be able to it must be able to explain to the reader that look, this is this is the, the this is how I've come to my conclusion. You know, this is the facts that I've taken into account. This is this is what I had employed, uh, and these are the facts that that swayed me. Now, whether that's right or wrong is immaterial as long as he bona fide, you know, with good in good faith, exercised his discretion. That I think is is what is in question here. How did you exercise your discretion? You have a board of experts saying no. You have two people, a minority in the board saying no, we examined him. He's not terminally ill, but he's got comorbidities. He, he could die. And although he's managed not by a specialist team, but he's got 24-hour help in the in the prison, uh, it's not an ideal place for him because in case something happens, he won't have specialist help. Well, you remember when Mr. Zuma was taken into custody, there was a very, 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 the, the, the country was on a knife edge, knife's edge. I don't you know if you recall how many helicopters were dispatched and how many yeah. rings and layers of security and police. Those were all very serious indications of, of, of how people might not accept the ruling of a court of law. So in a court of law, you have the pleasure and maybe the privilege of arguing and all the niceties of court and life and... But on the ground outside, it's a different thing. We've seen now what this could result in. So perhaps we don't know why they took it, but maybe they wanted just clarity that let, let's get this thing once and for all in, in order now. So that because the purpose of law is to set a precedent and a precedent must be obey, obeyed rightly or wrongly. Because precedence creates stability. So you don't have... 10 different judgments on one set of facts, you see. It creates confusion and uh, what we call legal irrationality. It, you know, it creates uh, an Ill, uh, illogical basis, so people get confused. That's that's why you have precedence. So maybe it's for that reason, just to get clarity in law and say, listen, we're having a clear precedent on, on what's going to happen. Well, Ashraf, I think uh, yeah, you in uh, in mitigation for AFRI Forum, the Helen uh, Suzman Foundation, yeah, we'll accept that. We'll accept that. But maybe, yeah, the other thing, because then, you know, the whole country suffers and uh, the businessmen suffers and then our credibility suffers uh, just by, you know, putting one individual in uh, back in bars. And as you said, 15 months later, so uh, 
I don't know. I would have said, so let it be. Let it be. <laughs> Ashraf, <laughs> your, your parting words this evening. Absolutely brilliant with all the sniffles and all that. But you still, you plowed through, brother. And, uh, you know, I must thank you for that. You know, your commitment is just uh, exemplary. And Allah bless you for that. Your parting words are this evening, Ashraf. Well, I mean, and thanks for all your kind words. Uh, you know, once again, thanks to Allah for giving us an opportunity to make ourselves uh, useful. And inshallah, people will benefit from this. We also ask them, as usual, to do the Yasin uh, with meaning and, uh, you know, pray for all the Muromin, the sick and the needy. We really, really need a lot of dua. Uh, you know, for our for our, our ummah, it's it's really uh, you know it's really important that we do this. So when you do the yasin, try and do a multiple uh, intention for it. It's also for safety, and uh, you know there's a drought now looming again in the Eastern Cape. We need water. So for all the for all the various reasons, very important to do the yasin and do the dua, and to remember us uh, in the pious duas, and uh, again to remember you and the studio, your all, all your engineering team, and of course the people who made the studio uh, possible. You can't overlook their their efforts. So Allah bless them all, bless you, and bless our leaders. Uh, our listeners and uh, ask him for the best for the weeks ahead. Allah bless you also, Ashraf uh, Isop, senior attorney, Ashraf Isop, uh, for really adding value to legal talk and uh, for keeping it buoyant. Uh, I will make sure that I will read a double Yasin and as he said, uh, for others and especially you in mind also, uh, Ashraf, uh, for being such an inspiration to me always and uh, for uh, helping uh, keep me on the straight and narrow too. Allah bless you, my beloved brother. You have a blessed evening ahead. I'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, sir, people, don't go anywhere. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan. And then after that, I will be listening to Wasail al-Alam al-Sadiqa, truthful news. Let's go for the Azan.